The cannabis industry is growing, pun intended, but it's not exactly a no-brainer for banks, which have to balance laws on the state and federal levels in a way no other industry demands. How can banks meet the legal and business challenges in the cannabis space to take advantage of the opportunities? To find out, we'll talk with Tony Rapanich, President and Chief Operations Officer of Shield Compliance. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that will help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carloso, the managing editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. And once again, we are delighted to have you here with us. We are also delighted to have, coming in from Seattle, Tony Rapanich. As President and Chief Operations Officer of Shield Compliance, Tony helps financial institutions manage risk, comply with regulations, and satisfy operational demands associated with the legal cannabis market across the United States. Tony brings 25 years of commercial and retail banking experience, and prior to joining Shield Compliance, he served as Executive Vice President and Chief Retail Banking Officer at a community bank in Washington State. And Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lou. Excited to join you today. Cannabis has exploded as a business within the banking business. There are concerns, though. Explain to our listeners what's happening on the state level versus the federal level legally and why the conflicts really pose a challenge for those in the cannabis industry. Well, I think for the bankers, it's really about uncertainty. This difference between state and federal law is creating something that bankers just don't really enjoy as uncertainty. But at the same time, we know there's a lot of profitability in managing the risk associated with uncertainty. So at the state level, what we're seeing is increased legalization. So adult use or recreational programs, being accepting of medical marijuana, and even within those medical states, really expanding the conditions that are covered under those programs, driving high sales volume, and that really demands banking services. At the federal level, while kind of operating under guidance from the Treasury Department issued by FinCEN that really provides some assistance to bankers and how to handle these businesses when providing banking services, but still leaves a lot of unanswered questions. And it's just guidance. It's not law. And so bankers have to make a decision about whether to take that risk when it comes to BSA, the Bank Secrecy Act, and anti-money laundering. I think the other piece that a lot of people don't realize is that it's not just uncertainty for the bankers, but for these businesses that we're providing services to. So at a federal level, these businesses, while they're legal operating entities within the states they do business, they're treated like criminal enterprises by federal law. So they are subject to punitive taxation, and they also don't get the protection of things like federal bankruptcy. Both of those make it more difficult to do business and makes it difficult to provide banking services. I think what's clear is from a federal level, we're not going backwards. Lots of positive things are happening in the House Financial Services Committee, looking at how we provide relief and more certainty for bankers. At the same time, the states are increasingly dependent on the tax revenues that are generated from these businesses. We're only moving forward from this point. Forward movement is good movement. And with more states at various levels of legalization, what advice would you give to banks and credit unions that are looking to enter the field today? I think this is one of the most interesting challenges for bankers. 
these states have adopted vastly different operating rules. And those operating rules drive licensing. And ultimately, that licensing drives the economics for that state when it comes to the cannabis industry. So I'll give you just a quick example. Here in Washington State, where I am, there's no vertical integration of the businesses. And all of the primary license holders are state residents. So we have some 1,500 small and medium-sized businesses that are licensed to be in the cannabis business. Change gears and look at Florida. They require vertical integration, have only extended a handful of licenses, and the last one went for something like $58 million. Whoa. So the bankers in the audience will quickly recognize that the needs start to diverge pretty quickly. Somebody who can buy a license for $58 million and is running a vertically integrated operation has much different banking needs than a small business running a single store. So as bankers decide to enter the cannabis market, it's really first and foremost about understanding their state, the economics of their state, and the value that those individual customers bring to the financial institution. That's going to drive the products and services you create for them and your ability to fit them into your balance sheet. Now, some banks would argue in terms of all of this, thanks, but no thanks. This simply isn't a safe area for us to go. How would you respond to that? How would you reassure them? Well, I think first and foremost that there is a pathway today for providing services. If you look at the handful of banks in Washington and Colorado that have gone through multiple federal exams now, looking at their compliance with that FinCEN guidance, there is a way to provide services. And it's really driven by data. It's about having the right data to validate that the funds flowing through that bank account are from legal sales activity. By demonstrating that to those bankers, they begin to understand that they can meet their obligations. Now, what we're trying to help bankers do is to do that more effectively and efficiently. Today, what we see is those early entrants did it with brute force labor. We see an opportunity to bring that data together and really analyze it on behalf of the banker and then allow them to focus their energy on those anomalies that represent risks to the financial institution. I would say, though, when I talk to bankers and they're interested in cannabis banking, sometimes I ask them the question, why are you getting into cannabis banking? If this isn't solving some underlying strategic initiative for the financial institution around generating more non-interest income or low-cost deposits, they shouldn't be entering this space. It takes resolve and resources to undertake any high-risk portfolio. And this is a high-risk portfolio. How do those portfolios get more complex over time? I would assume that that creates many challenges, complications, but also opportunities. Yeah, I'm seeing the real opportunity in the industry really for the next tier of financial institutions. So the early entrants have been small banks and credit unions, which have provided a tremendous amount of service to the industry. But as we begin to see consolidation, folks raise equity in the public markets. They're needing financial institutions that have a broader set of treasury services and have a balance sheet that can both house the liquidity that these businesses bring, but also can weather the fluctuations in the deposit balances that may be occurring as these businesses are raising money, buying licenses, or buying another business. And so I think the opportunity is for the next tier of financial institution to step in and begin providing a broader range of services to the industry. 
And there is also the question of due diligence, right? It's extremely important to remain compliant. What should organizations be looking for to ensure that they're maintaining it? I think it's a two-tier process. First, you really have to look at your initial vetting of these customers. The underwriting that goes into looking at these customers is much more analogous to taking on a commercial loan relationship than taking on a traditional commercial deposit relationship. Not only understanding the beneficial owners of the business, but really having a deep understanding of how the business operates and all the people that are involved in operating the entity. There's lots of great information available from the states that can be leveraged to help understand how this business is set up to operate within that state's legal cannabis system. After that initial underwriting, it's really about this continuous enhanced due diligence. And so a lot of our systems that we have in the banks are focused on looking at changes within our own bank data and how that might tell us that we have activity that's risky to the financial institution. In the case of this high-risk portfolio, it's really about taking the bank data that we have and comparing it to all the outside data sources we can bring to the table to start understanding all the funds that have run through the account are from legal sales. We always talk with our clients about there's risk of diversion, inventory that gets sold out the back door versus the front door. And those funds want to find their way into the banking system. And there's legacy funds. This business just a few years ago in most of these states wasn't too legal. And so there was a lot of money made prior to legalization. And those dollars are also trying to find a home. And as bankers, we have to guard against that. And so using all of the information we have to help provide that assurance to the financial institution. Last thing I'd say is you have to understand changes that happen in their licensing or their corporate entity structure as quickly as possible, bringing that data to the table so that you can act on it. And that's what we're helping financial institutions do more effectively. There's also something else on their checklist, right? And that's client experience. This is a very different business in terms of the client experience compared to others. Maybe you can outline for us what is different, what financial services leaders need to know to strengthen relationships with cannabis organizations. Yeah, Lou, that's a really great point. I was actually visiting with a large operator in your state that is a multi-state organization based out of Chicago. They are a successful large business. From a client experience standpoint, as more competition comes to market, wanting to provide services to the industry, the first opportunity is really to streamline the compliance experience. Most of our business clients, as bankers, the compliance department doesn't have a high degree of interaction with those clients. With this portfolio, there is. So using technology and streamlining that experience and how we share information between the client and the compliance department is the first step. The second step is providing them a larger set of treasury services so that they can more effectively manage their business. These businesses are fast-growing, entrepreneurial businesses that are very strapped for time. So we can appreciate where they are in their business life right now. We could greatly improve the experience on day one. And going forward from day one, a new day is here. You are obviously right on top of that new day. Tony, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Lou. Tony Rapanich is president and chief operations officer of Shield Compliance. He is based in Seattle. You can look for Tony on LinkedIn. 
And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, fundamental differences between state and federal law create uncertainty for banks, but also major business potential. States are increasingly legalizing marijuana for medical and recreational use, but federal laws run into the Bank Secrecy Act and anti-money laundering regulation. At a federal level, the businesses are legal, but also treated as criminal enterprises. That said, things are moving ahead to create certainty and profitability. Number two, many states have different operating rules that drive how cannabis industries are licensed and run. Some states, such as Florida, require vertical integration. Others, such as Washington, don't, and those create different banking needs. Know your state's laws, which will determine the products and services you provide. And number three, with balance sheets and strategic plans, banks need to know exactly why they are entering the cannabis space. Credit unions and small banks have entered first, but as the industry takes off, next-tier institutions must weather the fluctuations in what is a highly entrepreneurial, fast-moving environment. Due diligence is needed to understand how business in the cannabis system operates. The good news? States have the resources you need to navigate this high-risk portfolio. Welcome to Decision Time where our podcast guest walks us through a major decision they had to make, how they made it, and how it has impacted their career. Mentoring and development goes both ways for a successful banker. So do friendships and relationships. So what would make someone leap into the cannabis banking world, even as it's being built from scratch by entrepreneurs? Here, Tony Rapanich talks about the business rewards of forging into an unknown, unformed, and uncertain world. Listen. I was at the same financial institution for 23 years, and it was an incredible experience. We grew it from 167 million to 1.5 billion. And when I decided to leave, I had been mentored and developed there. At the same time, I had had the opportunity to do that for so many other people and had created a lot of partnerships and friendships. And then as I told people, I was thinking about going to help bankers that wanted to be in the cannabis banking space after those same friends and colleagues stopped laughing because I'm the least likely cannabis banker in the world, I made that tough decision to jump out and work with a group of entrepreneurs to help them grow their businesses. And it has been incredibly rewarding. Number one, a lot of those friends and colleagues from the bank continue to be terrific supporters and good friends. And I have met a group of people that are trying to create an industry from scratch, and a group of service providers, lawyers, bankers, that are stepping out in front of this uncertainty and trying to help this industry grow and thrive. And I think there's very few opportunities to get to do that. There's very few new industries that are started from scratch, and the cannabis industry is really one of those industries. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast. We hope to have you back with us very soon. Be sure to check out our ever-growing archive of podcasts at BAI.org. Our producer, as always, is James Grady. Be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor at BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.